0: calling a bi-monthly podcast with sound rich reports from our correspondents on the continent african voices reporting on african stories produced by radio france international
1: hello and welcome to our season two episode 20 of the africa calling podcast on june 10th 2022 i'm laura-angela Bagnetto. We have a number of stories from the African continent this week, including how 3D printing is revolutionizing Nigeria's manufacturing sector. Plus, we'll take a look at a spike in kidney disease in the Gambia and what one former footballer is doing about it. And in Kenya, elephants eating farmers' crops adds to the food insecurity. Find out about one novel way to keep elephants out of farms. And finally, don't forget our special song at the end.
2: Africa calling.
1: In Nigeria, 3D printing is a technology that has the capacity to change the world. The technology mimics regular paper printing where computer-aided design is sent to a printer for direct manufacture. 3D printing is already a part of large manufacture design workflows in the West. But how is 3D printing shaping out in Nigeria? From Lagos, Samuel Okocha reports on how one company is aiding clients via 3D printing and what it means for Nigeria's manufacturing sector.
3: With his 3D printer switched on, engineer Akinwole Akinpelu is seated in front of his computer screen as he prepares our 3D model that has been designed for printing, or
4: better still, manufacturing. I'll load it up in the um, the 3D printing software, which is called a slicer. Um, So that is what will determine how it will be manufactured, how the actual object to be manufactured so in terms of what density are we using what resolution are we using things like that um, so once the file is prepared I'll send it to the machine and the manufacturing starts I can't really want to disclose
3: what or who the 3d design is specifically intended for but the model looks like a thick slim ruler He has now sent it to the machine and production with a 3D printable plastic has started.
4: So what essentially is going on here is the machine is taking the raw material, passing through this long tube and into the nozzle Now, the nozzle is heated up to 230 degrees which allows it to melt the material and once it's melted it becomes molten and as the head is moving it's just um, releasing the multi-material into the desired shape based on the model. So once it fills up all these gaps, this uh, print head will move up one layer and then the process repeats itself over and over again until you have like a solid object. From his workshop in Lagos,
3: Wally runs his own agency, Stampa3D, which he says aims to bring the emerging and exciting world of 3D printing to the Nigerian market. While clients in engineering and manufacturing form a major part of his customer base, Akimwoli says he often gets orders from a wide range of industries, including fields like medicine.
4: I get requests from surgeons that, that you know that they use 3D printing to make cutting guides to help them within the surgery. So I know um, teaching hospitals here in Lagos and Ibadan. A regular client of mine, they'll just send me the cutting guide or maybe the specific details of the patient. And then, you know, we get that 3D printer, send it back to them, and then it aids in the surgery that they're about to perform. Uh, I think one one of the surgeons actually said it saved them about six hours of of uh, surgery time. So the, the adoption has actually been, been really widespread. At this
3: workshop, technicians build inverters that store electricity. For many households and businesses, inverters have become part of the solution to Nigeria's electricity crisis. They are often charged using solar power or power from electricity distribution companies. Once they are charged, inverters then serve as backup for the shortfall in power supply. Fadil Ojifini, a mechanical engineering student in his final year at the University of Lagos, got involved with 3D printing after he started work here. He says troubleshooting is part of his job. I always try to find a way
5: to integrate my skill set for mechanical and electrical. So whenever I have a very complicated part, like now, you know, we're customizing here. We are building the things in-house. Sometimes you might run out of um, components, or you might have a part that does not want to fit to another part, and then, you know, you cannot just say, oh, because of that, you're going to have to delay the work. You have to get it fixed. So I can easily just take my stem out, do a quick design. So there's this software we use. I use Fusion 360 when I want to design. So do a quick design, and then print it out, and then
3: you have the parts ready to use. While Fadel works with other technicians to build inverters, it does other 3D projects for clients on the side by relying on the more stable power supply from the inverters and solar system in his workshop. He says he was originally looking to work on his own ideas but got sidetracked.
5: The overall, goal, the overall goal was to have a 3D printer to do personal projects, my own personal projects. But then things got less out of hand and people knew you have 3D printers and then they start asking you for. Alpha, let me print this thing. Alpha, can I do this with, this with this 3D printer? What are the things you can do with this? So eventually I started collecting orders for jobs and I started doing them on my free time. I would say about 20% of my orders come from students. 40% of my orders come from artists. While the remaining 40% just random people that just want to solve one or two problems that they have.
3: Back at Tampa 3D, Akinwole says young people are gradually driving the adoption of 3D printing in Nigeria, potentially increasing the country's manufacturing capabilities in the coming years. Akinwole explains 3D printing can make virtually anything, big or small. Whether a 3D printing serves as the most cost-effective is assessed on a case-by-case basis. That said, with more people going into 3D printing, the reliance on crude methods and imports
4: will reduce,
3: boosting local
4: manufacturing. The biggest trend in the space is more and more young guys, maybe out of university, uh, they are getting these uh, smaller machines, and then they are starting to print for their local circle. So, which is always an excellent way to start. You know, like I said, the barrier to entry is pretty low, so uh, so people are adopting that. And then most of these guys that are buying, you know, these entry-level machines, but in 5 to 10 years, they'll, they'll probably have more industrial machines. Uh, with that, they'll be able to service higher level of clients. And, you know, the cycle just kind of repeats itself. So in 5 to 10 years, we have a lot more manufacturing capability than we do
6: now.
3: Exports say Nigeria's growing reliance on imported goods has hindered local manufacturing with only a few well-established manufacturing companies able to compete with importers, but 3D printing is offering a useful option to local manufacturing and this can become a backbone for local startups to develop homegrown solutions. Reporting for RFI's Africa Cooling. This is Samuel Okocha in Lagos, Nigeria.
2: Africa Calling, produced by Radio France International.
1: In the Gambia, health officials are concerned with the increase in kidney disease, which has claimed many lives and left others on dialysis for the rest of their lives. One former Gambian team soccer player who was diagnosed with kidney failure in 2018 is now using his story to sensitize others about the life-threatening disease. Correspondent Sally Jane reports from
7: Benjul.
1: It was almost a successful
8: international soccer career for John Bass. The footballer was on the verge of realizing his dreams of becoming a professional player in Europe, was faced with a stark reality when he was diagnosed with kidney failure sadly after he returned from the African Nations Championship Chan 2017.
9: If I should ask here, you know, when last did we go to the hospital to check ourselves? Some of us we, don't even, we can't even remember, which is, uh, which is a bad attitude. So this is why we have to go uh, to be going to the hospital to make sure we have ourselves checked up, to be on the safe side, to know our health status.
8: After a successful kidney transplant, John is now a technical director at his former club, Brikama United, and he is sensitising his team about kidney disease. John says he had believed staying fit at all times would prevent one from such disease, which was why he could not accept the first test result.
9: I had um, two tests. And the first one I had, you know, the doctor told me, I think, he said, I think something is uh, wrong with your kidneys. Uh, When he told me this, you know, I told him, no, 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 uh, that's not possible, you know. And then my mind, you know, was like, hey, if if, if this should be true, you know, what about my football, what about my career, you know? You know, that day I didn't uh, talk to my family members, I didn't tell to anybody. So I had to just sit down and think about this thing, you know.
8: But reality hit him hard. When he realised he had no option but to treat the life-changing disease, he speaks on how overwhelming it was at the time. I
9: went to the hospital with my mom, with the hope that, you know, I will go and then we will come back home and then look for possible ways of having my treatment. So when I got to the hospital, you know, I had to be detained at the hospital because they said that I needed to start dialysis immediately. So there was no going back home for me. I had to stay to the, um, at the hospital, you know. It was just crazy. Within one hour, you know, people people came rushing to the hospital to know what is really wrong with me. You know, I was receiving calls from everywhere because it went viral. And then it was it was really quick, you know. Everything happened so fast, you know. And then I was receiving calls, you know. At the end, I stopped receiving calls because that was, you know, kind of harming me. It, was, it wasn't helping me. So Because it was difficult for me to talk to people and then tell them what is going on, you know. Everybody thought, you know, now uh, you are at that level, you know. And the next thing is we are seeing you, you know, going to Europe and then realise your dreams. So why this now?
1: This
8: is the dialysis unit of the country's main referral hospital in Banjul. Dialysis is the process of removing excess water and toxin from the blood. In people whose kidney can no longer perform, these functions naturally. Patients come three times weekly, while some are being treated, others wait outside for their turn. The process lasts at least four hours. Jan spent four months here. Marijata is one of the nurses at the unit. She says... Sometimes they are overwhelmed with patients because people only come to hospitals when their condition is at its worst. You know, yeah, we have limited number of beds here, and the number of patients that we have every day is, is, like, is in, in the increase. And we still have the same number of beds that we have been having for the past five years. Like we have 14 beds in the whole world, in the whole unit. We see 14 patients at a time. That means other patients have to wait extra hours. For most of the cases that come here, they're already in kidney, they're already in, in stage. Most of them, it's rare to see someone coming and say, I want to check this and that. They only come when they have symptoms. And when those symptoms are there, already there's already a problem. It's difficult for patients who live longer compared to the rest. And sometimes the patients themselves, they even give up because they won't come for dialysis. Normally patients should be going to the hospital three times a week, but Jata says... They get tired of constantly going to the hospital and eventually stop coming regularly. According to WHO 2020 data, kidney disease death reached 2.07 percent in the Gambia, higher than the 1.38 percent in 2018. Babakar Chang, a nephrologist, told Africa Calling that poor diet is one of the causes of increasing number of kidney disease patients. He says people with pre-existing conditions like hypertension and diabetes are also at higher risk of chronic heart disease. Our food is very salty. Um,
5: average Gambian diet, um, especially the modern Gambian diet, has a lot of salt. We've um, seen high rise in obesity. People are getting to gain weight, uh, even children. I mean, unlike... Before, when we were worried about malnutrition, like children are not getting the weight. We've all realised that, on on average, we're having two to three people presenting to the emergency room with complications of something that has to do with kidneys. We know we have uh, environmental, we have genetic predisposition, we have the fact that there's a rise in non-communicable diseases.
8: Several health reports shows dialysis patients are known to be highly susceptible of heart problems because when the kidneys can no longer function well, the heart does most of the work to circulate blood. This can lead to high blood pressure and other heart disease. The many deaths due to kidney disease are also attributed to the lack of kidney donors. For most, fear and misconception prevents them from donating. Vincent Mendy was John's donor.
4: Not from my family, though, but outside tell you, If you give a kidney, maybe you will not have kids or something like that. Yes. But I didn't not even hesitate because I saw John the way he was. He, he was terribly bad. Because each and every day, keep, you keep on vomiting all the time. To an extent that you will be dehydrated, we will rush you to the hospital. Sometimes we will go there late at 3, 2 in the morning. So it was very, 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 very very, difficult.
8: Vincent's wife is pregnant and they are expecting their first child. For many footballers like John, transfer deals between one local club to another would be carried out without any medical testing. There is no policy that compels club owners and players to do medical checks before transfer deals are concluded. The Gambia Football Federation says it is working on having these policies in place by next season. John is hoping to increase awareness throughout the Gambia by showing that life is not over if you have kidney disease. He is also promoting that people be checked by a doctor if they experience signs of back pain, swollen ankles, and vomiting. Reporting for RFIS Africa, calling from Banjul, I am Salijeng. Check us out on Twitter,
2: Africa underscore underscore calling. We're at Africa underscore underscore calling.
1: In Kenya, elephants are destroying crops, leading to human-animal conflict in communities living around conservancies and national parks. These conflicts have led to deaths of elephants, endangering lives of residents and even leading to food insecurity. Our correspondent Victor Maturi reports from Lakipia, Kenya, on how local organizations and residents are trying to prevent elephant invasions.
7: We are in Madeira, one of the villages in Lakipiya County, bordering Lakipiya West conservancies and several world animal parks. Farmers have been incurring losses here after elephants encroached on their farms and destroyed crops. Elephants are the major problem not only to farms but also homesteads. According to Douglas Bolton, a businessman and a farmer, he says Kenya Wildlife Service, or KWS, is overstretched, especially when it comes to dealing with elephants. Elephants have been breaking the fences, breaking our trees, water tanks, our crops, and a lot more. There were big problem, big manners, there were over 200, 300 huts which used to visit us one night. Uh, in fact, KWS, we say they are work but they are underfunded and they have big areas to cover. They cannot follow one elephant for six days, which has been breaking fences, crops, killing people's animals. So I think KWS should also be included in the donor community sector. Few kilometers from Bolton's farm, Francis Kamau, a large-scale farmer, is busy attending to his farm. Kamau says, he had lost several hectares of crops to elephants, leading to huge losses. He says the elephants move freely in the community in the late hours of the night.
0: These elephants come near my farm and stand on the other side of the fence. Yesterday they had to cut the fence and luckily they didn't enter my farm. Sometimes they don't go through here, but come from the other side and enter our fields to destroy our
7: crops. However, with the help of the government and non-government organizations, the community has installed a smart digital fence to keep away not only the elephants, but also other wild animals. The smart fence is equipped with modern technologies, like cameras and sensors, to monitor the movement of animals, restricting the animals from destroying farms. The short elephant fence uses solar power. Alice Mukami, a small-scale farmer, says since the digital fence was erected, she can now cultivate a small piece of land in peace, unlike in the past, when elephants used to destroy her crops, thus incurring losses.
1: I've lived here for about 50 years. In the past, when we didn't have this fence, we had problems with wild animals, especially elephants. If one elephant sets its foot on the farm, it destroys everything. But now we're thankful because we've expanded our fields and our crops are doing well. I used to grow maize, beans and potatoes and everything could be eaten by the elephants. But now with the fence, I'm also growing tomatoes. Let's just say I grow every crop. I urge other farmers who are willing to join us, and will expand the crops in this area.
7: Local officials say the human population in this region has grown quickly. It's partly because new people come here to farm, leading to rapidly changing land use and human-wildlife conflict. John Mundia, a village elder here at Madira Sublocation, says the introduction of the new digital smart fence is a game-changer for the community. He says farming insecurity has attracted larger farms and created employment for locals. I don't know how to express the joy.
2: They say that whoever installed this fence is our earthly saviour from poverty. If you look around, you can see large tracts of land already planted. No one came to cultivate in the past, but when the fence was installed, it attracted large-scale farmers and the village has improved. Secondly, the large farmers have created jobs. In the past, one would have to travel a long distance to get a job, but today, even
7: finding someone to work for you is
9: difficult.
7: Mundia says the community has also shifted to other types of farming to curb human elephant conflict. Some raise poultry, others grow chili, and others grow crops which are not consumed by the jumbos. Such interventions have helped their food security. According to Mundia, the main prevention strategy in addressing human-animal conflict is to keep people and elephants
9: Separated. Honestly
7: speaking,
2: cases of crop damage have gone down. Even the area chief never has to deal with such cases anymore. I urge the donors and the government to help other countries experiencing human-animal conflicts with this kind of fence, to have more farmers benefit and boost our economy.
7: Local non-government organizations such as Space for Giants, in partnership with the Lakekeeper County Government and the Kenya Wildlife Service, have started the installation of smart digital fences. Beekeeping is another initiative to curb human elephant conflict, which has led to crop destruction and deaths in the community. Samigidui, a human wildlife coexistence manager at Space for Giants organization, a group that works with elephants and communities explains how the 125 kilometer digital smart fence works
10: there has been evolution of fences in Laikipia it all started from a very tall fence but out of the research that was done the tall fences proved not to work so therefore the only effective fence was a short fence that which we call smart fence with uh, some protruding spikes that we call out triggers they protrude away from the fence and to a point, and they target uh, these soft tissues of the elephants along this you know, part of the elephant's body. We have uh, monitors that have the capability of sending messages in the case that there are voltages that have dropped to a certain uh, state, they will send messages and we are able to know oh, there was a breakage or there was an alarm as a result of a breach of that particular section by having an SMS sent to either myself or sent to the person in charge of that section. And we will definitely follow up to make sure that it's repaired. There are camera, camera traps that are mounted along the fence, especially where we identify a lot of you know elephants. It's, there are places where elephants would pass through, at the gates where they, are, they were probably used to go through, just along the fence to get to understand how interact with the fence. If there would be uh, an elephant who would challenge the fence, the camera traps would show and we have uh, human elephant officers that are out there in the field. They are able to follow up and in the case of persistence on the the same behaviour, then that elephant becomes a candidate for collaring and is monitored.
7: Laikipe County hosts the largest wildlife population in the northern parts of Kenya with a population of about 4,700 elephants. It has a high number of ranches, conservancies and pastoralists in the area. Gidui says so far over 1,000 households have benefited from this initiative. It's been a relief to the farmers after the fence.
10: And uh, the farmers themselves have also been very key to making sure that the fence is running through reporting any incidents of damage from people. During rainy seasons we are sometimes overwhelmed by the vegetation that grows along the fence, which would bring the charge down. So we have seen even at some point community gather up to help the fence clear up the vegetation just along the fence to make sure that the fence works for them because it has proved to be the very effective. The fences stretches to a length of about 130 kilometers from where it started. So all along there are communities that are close by and in terms of how many households that have benefited we we'll talk in general like close to a thousand
7: households there could even be more. According to human-animal coexistence experts, the use of satellite monitoring system technology has been of a big help to track the movement of animals from one place to another within the parks, conservancies, and around the smart fence. Redem a data coordinator at Space for Giants, tells Africa Calling that human-animals conflict cases has reduced not only from the elephants, but also other animals, such as rhinos, zebras, and even antelope.
0: We actively monitor the elephant movement locations and we are able to get almost real time data so anytime we get um, elephants moving close to the uh, to the fences or close to the community lands we are able to notify the kws we also having a, a, a technology called Earth Ranger platform. It's a very strong visualization tool. Anybody, even somebody without the technology know-how can be able to use it easily. So when they just log in, they can be able to monitor the location of the elephants. And any time maybe the elephant breaks, we got a notification message on WhatsApp to the management teams and to the people who are involved in the management of human-elephant conflict issues. The main reasons why we only monitor elephants is because you look at uh, a problem where there is the highest uh, complaint. In if, fact, if you get like five elephants in a farm, it can destroy like all somebody's livelihood compared to other species. But not to say that the other species are not important as well. When you put a fence, it will actually also help uh, prevent or mitigate conflict with other species with the, with the community.
7: Seen the elephants. Human elephant conflicts are prevalent in parts of Mara National Parks, Nanyuki Conservancy in Laikipia County and parts of Muatate Sub County due to their proximity to Savo National Park. Communities there are now urging the government and other concerned authority to continue putting more efforts to prevent animals from leaving the parks and conservancy and encroach their farms. Reporting for Arafai's Africa Calling, this is Victor Muturi in Laikipa County, Kenya. Africa Calling.
1: We're almost at the end of our program, but we have a special song for you. Tom Dijenez is a Côte d'Ivoire reggae recording artist who describes his music as hard and pure. We met in Abidjan, where he's preparing his upcoming album, Diamine. It's not out yet, but he's given RFI the green light for this special exclusive preview of his first single, Paradoxes. If you want more on the meaning of the song, check out the video we shot of him in his recording studio on RFIenglish.com. And on that note, thanks for listening to Season 2, Episode 20 of Africa Calling. We'll leave you with Paradoxes by Tom DiGenez. I'm Laura-Angela Bagnetto. This episode was edited and recorded by Nicolas Doreau and Cécile Pompiani. Goodbye for now.
6: Regardez au oh, à la télé, lisez au oh, dans les livres, écoutez au oh, à la radio. Partout, partout, on ne fait que parler de l'Afrique, que c'est un continent riche, très très riche, riche. de plus en plus riche, riche. c'est même une. La population africaine est très pauvre Elle est pauvre, très très pauvre De plus en plus pauvre, et même pauvre regardez dans la regard, regardez dans nos fais